0: Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Pros Podcast, where we invite experts in our industry. Today, we have here a very special guest, a mortgage broker in our industry, Gareth Cahill. Thank you for joining us. No problem, fellas.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, first of all, where can, where can we find you on like, social media, if you're on social media? Oh, you'll have
1: to look hard. Um, no, I'm not really on social media, <laughs> really. to be honest with you. I just have personal pages, to be honest with you. So yeah, just Gareth Cahill. And just, awesome. Yeah, it's not a business page or anything like that. I wouldn't say I'm too active there, but email, phone calls. Email, phone calls. That's that's probably the best way to contact us if you're looking to. Amazing.
2: And also, you can attend one of his amazing webinars. That's
1: the best way. That's
2: the best way. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You're not gonna regret. Uh, You you do a lot of webinars for first-time home buyers.
1: Yeah, we try and go cover all aspects of the of mortgages, house buying world. Whether it's home buying seminars, first-time buyers, second time, Um, the investors is the one we're probably most passionate about. Um, with I have a, a banking background myself, so um, the power of investing in real estate to grow wealth is something I'm pretty passionate yeah, about. Yeah, we'll touch
2: on that the yeah, one more course, poverty. Yeah, yeah and exactly. How, and yeah. how it can change people's yeah. lives. Pretty much, yeah. But if you can tell us briefly,
1: how did you start? How long have you been in the industry? Um, that's, it goes back a while. So, listen, I'm, my background's from Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm from Europe. So, I was a mortgage broker back home, but I moved here to Canada in 2008. So when global financial crisis worldwide <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah. Ireland, yeah, yeah, um, Ireland was not a pretty place to be. Um, it yeah. was we were borderline bankrupt as a country. So I moved over here. Uh, so I was a, I was a mortgage broker back home, but when I came here to Canada, I was working in the banks. Okay. Um, so after, I suppose I was just trying to establish myself here and see what the Canadian markets, Canadian industry was like. So I was working in the banks, uh, financial advisor with Scotia financial planner with scotia sorry financial advisor with cibc financial planner with scotia bank uh, i was a branch manager with cibc i was in the credit union space as well for a bit nice. uh, but this has always been the passion mortgage brokering um, i never liked the mutual fund conversation uh, i it's that's kind of where the banks like their clients to be yeah. uh, i always saw real estate as the true
2: yeah
1: end game basically that's where all the wealth is created so true and uh, i went I left the bank to get back into doing this and advising people full-time.
0: I think from one of your webinars, uh, you've also mentioned that the banks are where, like, they put their money on real estate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, that's as far as lending is concerned. So, yeah, you are 100% correct. So, um, one of the roles I I also had was a small business advisor when I initially started uh, in the banks. Um, But if you're coming in to to start a business, and there's a lot of wealthy people out there who are business owners. There's no doubt about it, but you're going to work for it. It's hard. But um, the bank aren't going to lend you to start a business because most businesses fail. Like the, most businesses don't last two, three years, let alone 10. Um, they're not going to lend you for mutual funds. So if you walk into a bank and, and want to borrow money to, to invest in mutual funds, they'll politely decline you. But they're not going to, to put their money where their mouth is. They're advising you to go here, but they're not going to lend you to go there. Yeah. Why is they're, that? It's risky. And there's ups and downs. It's 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 just risky. Um, there is the exception of obviously, obviously if you're a high net worth individual, and um, if you're, you know, if you've got a lot of money on deposit with a bank, they, yeah, they'll make concessions and they'll lend to you. They might secure it against the funds that you have on on on, um, on deposit with them, but they're not just going to lend it off their back. Um, but when it comes to investing in real estate, if you're putting down 20%, and they'll typically match your down payment four times. And because that's where they see the value. That's where they see wealth creation. And I'll tell you from firsthand, when I was a branch manager and at the beginning of any banking fiscal year, we'd get our targets. And my biggest target was always lending. It was always real estate. That's where the banks wanted to get their money out there. So. Banks are rich. Banks are powerful. Just do what they do. That's the secret, yeah. if there is one. So.
2: You don't have to be smart.
1: Oh, that's it. Yeah, just copy. <laughs> Look, we're not reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Um, many smarter people before me have, have, have gone before us. I'm talking the banks. Just copy what they do. If they're going to put their money in real estate, that's where I want to put my money as well.
0: I think Canada as a country, we're very much focused on real estate as an investment vehicle. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, in terms of, cause it's, it's a necessity, like shelter yeah. is a necessity, but at the same time, a lot of people are, I guess some people say landlords are taking advantage of the market, that they're buying too many properties.
1: Um, I don't know about buying too many properties. Like there's, if there's, anyone can do it. Uh, now granted, like it's, it's, you have to be well qualified. You have to be in a position, you have to have the down payment and most people do. Uh, I think the problem mainly is education. Uh, most people don't know how they can do it, uh, and hence you spoke about it at the webinars that we do, the the one property more webinars, that's to show people exactly how they can invest in real estate. Um, nobody has down payment sitting in their bank account, but anyone who owns property is sitting on a lot of equity, and you can literally use that equity as down payment and buy an investment property. Now it's not simple. you like obviously you have it you have to pick your tenant, you have to manage a tenant, you have to run a property. Um, once you get things up and running, though, it's, it's quite passive. You just kind of sit back and let it, and let it happen. Um, are too many landlords buying up property? Yeah, I don't know about that one. The like you, you can read, like you can dive into the comment section on any social media platform. <laughs> yeah. But any topic, it's an ugly place to be. And yeah, they're going to point the fingers at landlords, um, but anyone can do it. Like it's just another way of investing. I'm not saying put all your eggs in that real estate basket, but if you're looking to plan for your future, you should have one quadrant, one portion that should have something to do with real estate outside of the family home. Mm-hmm. Have family home, piece of real estate, then the rest you can your mutual funds, your retirement savings plans. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of wealth that can be created just by owning real estate.
2: So speaking of getting started, a lot of people they want to get into the market but they don't have the enough down payment. Do you advise people, like, do you have any solutions for that? Do you partner up with someone else, from your experience?
1: When it comes to down payment or when it comes to actually making the, like, purchasing a property in like general?
2: purchasing a property. Yeah, like, we're, it to see, the we're,
1: we're seeing it all the time. Um, we, do a lot of, we do a lot of business with um, the Filipino community, mm-hmm. um, mainly because one of our r- realtor partners is, he's big in the Filipino community. Okay. And what I love seeing is, we, always, we see a lot of these families coming together mm. just for home ownership. Like, it's not cheap to own in the GTA. No. Um, so and you know, we're hardworking, um, but it, it takes two salaries. Like, we see people coming out of college earning $100,000, $120,000 a year. Yeah. they can't get anything. Like, when they come to us for an approval, and, we're, and they've got, like, minimal down payment, and we're saying, well, unfortunately, this is the max you're going to get, the reaction's always the same as, what can I get for that? Yeah. Like, not a lot. You really need two people or in some cases, two families coming together and purchasing that property together. So what we've seen with, with that strategy is we've seen two families come together, they pool their resources, pool their income, they get a big property that both can kind of live in, sit on that for maybe three, five years, let that equity build up, and now they've got a big down payment. Now they've got options for themselves, and then they tend to go their separate ways.
2: And they live together for the.
1: They live together for the for that, um, for that five years, um, Listen, when you live with someone for a long period of time, sometimes um, see, so you, you have to do it the right way. Yeah. Like, from day one, get everything laid out. You can get, for want, for, for want of a better word, it's like a prenup for real estate. It's yeah. called a cohabit, cohabitation agreement. Okay. So it's basically a contract for the two families coming together, and it's done with a lawyer, so everybody knows their responsibility. And you're just protecting yourself in case there is a fallout. Yeah. Now it's rare, but... Yeah. It can't happen. Yeah. It can't happen.
2: But the point is you have got to make sacrifices, well, that's right? It. Yeah. It's not you easy to go to the luxury market, yeah.
1: And I don't think you're going to And I don't think you're going to like just pick someone off the street that you don't know already. Yeah. You're going to do it with a friend. And it's probably going to be a long-time friend or, or or maybe a family member. Um just somebody you've known and you trust. Um well, I know that's the way I do it anyway. I've seen I was only in a news report there yesterday or this week, one of my colleagues out in Windsor, and they're doing like a matchmaking for people. So it's like, a, I suppose it's like a dating website, but for people who want to buy real estate. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see how that works. Now, they're yeah. just launching it, but like it's it's, wow. it's... it's You're seeing more and more people are, are maybe looking that direction if they're finding it difficult to get on the property market themselves. Yeah,
0: like um, a joint
1: venture. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it. If, if And look, it's an end of the day. Do you have to live on the property together? No. But if the two of you wanna to come together and invest in a piece of real estate, yeah. like maybe you're renting yourselves and you wanna be somewhere on the property market to, to kinda of offset the rent you're paying, yeah. nothing wrong with that strategy. Um, people are doing that as well, yeah. It's just about getting creative to see can how people can get, yeah. can get on the property market and get, um, get, some, get some real estate.
2: What about co-signing, is it common? Yeah. Yeah? yeah. How, how does it work?
1: Um, Well, I suppose the words cosign and guarantor kind of get thrown around a Mm -hmm. lot. Um, Guarantor is typically a a parent um, supporting their kids. um, And it's just basically putting another name on the application. It's just giving the banks that extra bit of security to say, you know, if he can't make the mortgage payments, the parents will step in. But now and more and more nowadays, the banks want parents on the title deeds as well i suppose the 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 way the property markets are going what people need to qualify so if i'm if we're using the parent's income to kind of get us a bigger house bigger property more options then we're going to have to kind of put them on the title deeds if that income is needed to kind of serve us alone and so they are going the title deeds and i suppose that's essentially what a cosigner is now you as the kids can be completely responsible for the payments. Mm-hmm. Parents can just be there in the background if that's the goal, if that's the wish. Um, but we are seeing a lot of that, especially parents and kids, um, or even just two friends coming together.
0: Mm-hmm. So if parents act as a guarantor, do you consider, like, if they own properties, then do you have to take that into consideration for yeah. their income? Okay.
1: Yeah. So, like, just by owning property doesn't make someone, I suppose, a, a good guarantor. There's still what they call debt servicing that needs to be done. We need to look at their incomes. We need to see what their commitments are on a monthly basis. Um, So, yeah, if they do have their own home. um,
0: And they're paying a mortgage. And they're
1: paying a mortgage. We have to factor all that into account. Yeah. But the other side of the coin is that, like, a grandparent. We're seeing, like, grandparents uh, sponsor people who have no mortgage. (laughs) Mm. And they mightn't have a massive income, but they can be ideal because they've Maybe they're only a CPP pension, so maybe twenty, thirty, even forty thousand a year. If they have a personal pension as well, but they've no mortgage, yeah. so they've no commitments. Property tax each year is their only outgoing. They're ideal. They don't have. You don't have to make a lot of money to be a guarantor or a co-signer. Um, it's it's case by case. It's what's the income? What's the outgoings? Is there a point at
0: which like uh, someone's technically? Actually, over leveraged.
1: Oh, <laughs> is there when someone's over Well, look, you're over leveraged when you can't afford to make the payments. Like, debt can be a great thing to help you get ahead if done correctly. Um, like, we do re- we, we, we we do so many refinances a year as well, for, for, and it's it's tidying up people's debt levels. It doesn't necessarily have to be to, because you're paying for real estate. Like, you can get over leveraged because you've got fancy car, you've mm. got student debt, you've got, you put everything on your, maybe you live a flashy lifestyle and everything goes on your credit card, yeah. buy now, worry about later kind of lifestyle. That's a dangerous level to be in. Like That short-term debt, that's expensive credit. Credit cards 20%. are 19.9, no, yeah. <laughs> Even if it's a store-bought card, some of those cards are like 29%. The minute yeah. you miss a payment, those, those interest rates are going up. There is a lot of short-term debt. Like We see people with Hundred thousand dollars in short-term debt—that's wow. not unusual. So there's a lot of people out there, and it's. But as far as over-leverage concern, if you can manage it and you can support it, then that's okay. Debt's only an issue when you're over your head and you're starting to drown. So you want to take those steps before you get anywhere near that.
0: So generally, when people qualify for it, you have to take into consideration the debt ratio. Yeah. So like the thirty-nine percent, forty-four percent.
1: Yeah. So you, whatever their whatever your gross income is. Um, I suppose lending, lending guidelines will say a certain portion of that can go towards um, your shelter costs, your home. So your shelter costs include your mortgage payment, property tax, maintenance, depending on the type of property you're buying. So you are correct. 39% of that can cover yeah. those payments to keep the roof over your head. They will allow an extra 5% of your gross take home for payments for the credit cards, the cars, right. the lines of credit. After that, that's when, if you have more debt than the average person, that will start impacting how much a bank can lend you.
0: So it's more so the other stuff, other than the housing costs, that if it balloons, and that's when they could potentially not make the payments for the mortgage. Or if, for example, they're on a variable rate, if their payments have increased over last year.
1: Yeah, yeah, so if, if, if and we've seen a lot of that, people whose variable rates have increased over last year with this kind of rapid increase in interest rates that we saw over the last 12 to to 18 months. The good news is, though, people are managing, and so people, like, we live in a a world now where we do carry a lot of debt, but it's not unmanageable debt, and, like, we're not seeing people defaulting on mortgages, like, that's not happening. Now, the next six months will be very interesting because what's protected people up until now is that the stress test. Stress test is one, yeah, because we were, we were uh, qualifying people at mm-hmm. higher interest rates mm. than they were actually getting. So when yeah. someone was getting a 1.5% rate, we were treating them as if we were giving them a rate of 5.25. So right. that buffer has protected a lot of people. They can still afford it at yeah. these higher levels. But the biggest thing was during COVID when we were, you know, sitting in our homes, not spending money, not going to restaurants, not doing anything, we're saving. Yep. So people left quarantine, left COVID with a lot of savings. Mm-hmm. And that has protected people up until now. But the problem is that those savings are now dwindled. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we're at a stage now, and that's why the next six months will be quite telling. Um, people don't have the savings that they had. They've, mm-hmm. they've used those savings just to kind of stay afloat, um, to, to stay on top of things. So not that that means look out what's going to happen over the next six months, but it just means that the decisions the Bank of Canada are going to make about raising interest rates and things like that, they won't need to do much more than they have done already because people are at that point where they are stretched. So anything extra the Bank of Canada do, yeah. the impact is going to be felt ten times more because they don't have those buffers. So um, we're not going to see mass defaults going forward. Then think we might... Um, we might see an easing off by the Bank of Canada.
0: Uh, in terms of like cash flow, it's, it tends to be pretty difficult to find cash-flowing properties in Toronto, for example, and yeah. especially with the high-interest-rate environment right now. Yeah. Like, is it recommended, for example, if somebody had purchased property, you know, five, six years ago at half the price that it is today, uh, is it recommended for them to even refinance to take some equity out and buy more property? Or? Oh yeah,
1: I, I, I would. We all know property values are cheaper now. And the prices are are lower than they were 12 months ago, Mm -hmm. and they're lower today than they will be in 12 months' time. So anyone who bought property four to five years ago, they're sitting on a lot of equity. They've essentially won the lottery, just the fact that they have bought a piece of real estate in the GTA, rented it out. Somebody else has been paying that mortgage, and it's grown in value. I don't even think you need to wait five years. One of the first properties I bought, we did it in 12 months. We put our down payment down on it. It grew in value. We went back to the bank, refinanced it, took our down payment back, and put it on another property. So yeah. that first property is now 100% financed by the bank. It's owned by us, mm-hmm. but none of my money is on it. It's yeah, all right. bank's money, and somebody else is paying it. So I'm the one of those greedy investors that you spoke <laughs> about at the start of this. So, but um, that's probably one of the most common ways people do, do it no one's got this money just sitting in their bank account, but they have it sitting in, in their property. So if they were an investor bought five years ago, they're sitting on a lot of equity, get that equity out, start creating some tax write-offs for yourself as well with the, with the interest, and put that money to good use for yourself. So
0: given that if they do refinance property, so let's say that they bought a property for 300,000, now it's like 600,000, mm-hmm. and they refinance so that it's up to like 80%, right?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, but then their monthly mortgage payment would go up, technically. Correct, yeah. Which means that the rent is not covering it even more.
1: Maybe. So I suppose it depends on the property you got and it depends on how much rent you're collecting. Right. Um, the good thing about investment properties and the rent in GTA is, well, rents have exploded. Like you guys deal yeah, with renters every day. Like on. a, a one bedroom condo in Mississauga 2500
0: 2500
1: easy. Um, how much would you buy a one bedroom condo for? 600? 550, yeah, you can probably even find something a bit cheaper, I would I would suspect. And what I love is those low rise condos that don't have high maintenance fees. Maintenance might only be three hundred. Property tax is an extra two. The mortgage payment I shouldn't know that math off the top of my head, but no, it's, it's complex. Yeah, so like, to be honest, the way I look at it is when it comes to investing in real estate. You're looking at two things, you're looking at the principal being paid down, so the rent you're collecting, mm. but you're looking at the asset appreciation, so mm. the value of that property going up. And it's those two forces working together that starts creating wealth. Finding something that cash flows in the GTA is, is difficult. Uh, we have to redefine cash flow positive or and how we look at cash flow um, when it comes to investing in real estate. like. I have properties where I have to contribute money in on a monthly basis. Yeah. No problem. As in, I'm happy to do it. Because I would rather put $500 into a piece of real estate to service it than put $500 into a, a mutual fund that can fluctuate up or down. And to be honest, do I have the discipline to keep putting in $500 every single month into a mutual fund?
0: Or the poor people that bought bonds. A while ago. Yeah, <laughs> bonds,
1: yeah, or even Bitcoin. Not Bitcoin, is it Bitcoin? Yeah, that's the... Crypto? the Yeah, crypto currencies. Yeah, it's been down. Like, that's up, down. Yes, there's people who've made a lot of money out of it, but it's people who've lost a fortune as well. I would much rather put $500 into a piece of real estate on a monthly basis to service it. And it's not like you're just throwing money away. As long as what you're putting into the property is less than the principal pay down. So if you're... Every time you make a mortgage payment, you've got some that's interest, you've got a portion that's principal. As long as this portion that's of that payment that's going towards the principal is greater than what you have to contribute, mm. that's a cash flow positive property. You're, you're creating wealth by owning that property. So if you get what I mean basically is you have that payment, some of it's interest, some of it's principal. So let's say you have a $2,000 payment yeah. And let's say $1,200 of that payment is going towards interest, but 800 is going towards principal. Mm-hmm. If you have to put in 500 bucks a month to service that property, you've still got $300 that's going to pay off your mortgage yeah. that's kind of net for you on a monthly basis that you're getting through the rent that somebody yeah. else is paying. So that principal has been paid down. That property value is growing. Mm-hmm. So just because you pay into a property doesn't mean it's a bad investment. You pay into mutual funds. You pay into savings accounts. We pay into education savings plans for our kids, retirement savings plans. We're paying into stuff day in, day out. What we've got to look at is what are we getting for our payments? What, what sort of a return are we getting? Are we getting good value? Are we getting the best with what we have? And most of the time, real estate will outperform any of those, 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 uh, those investments.
0: But in summary, you're basically saying uh, calculating cash flow based on principal recapture.
1: Yeah, principal recapture and asset appreciation. Right. It's the two together that they're So together. if you, we use the, the, the frequent example, but if you, if you, got, if you buy a $500,000 property, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to remember my, my figures on this one, so correct me if, give me a second here. So if you buy a, a property for $500,000 and it grows at 5%, Compounded per year. Mm -hmm. And 5% is not just a number which just pulled out of the sky. That's the GTA average over the last 60 years. And
0: that's 5% on the purchase price, not your down payment.
1: Exactly. So 5% growth in that purchase price. And you can verify those numbers. Anyone who's bought property, just have a look at what you paid for it, especially if you've owned it for a couple of years, and look what it's worth today. If you shorten those timelines, those numbers are a lot higher. But just for the sake of a a balanced market, let's say 5% per year, um, is what that appreciation is. And even at today's interest rates, um, over a five-year period between asset appreciation and mortgage pay down, at 5% compounded growth, a $500,000 property will be worth, I think it's $637,000 at the end of five years. Your mortgage pay down in that same five-year period is about $50,000. So between the property value going up, the mortgage being paid down, that difference, that's your net worth. That's your wealth being yeah. created. Right. Now, with one going up and one going down, you're ahead about $187,000, if I remember the numbers correctly. If you've put in $500 a month to service that particular property, that's $500 a month, that's $6,000 a year, that's $30,000 over a five-year period. So you're still up, but like, 150000 you've 150, gained $187,000 in... Additional net worth, yeah. Your net result 000, is yeah, one hundred fifty, yeah, one hundred fifty grand basically in growth. Mm-hmm. That's still a great investment for five hundred dollars a month, is what it's cost you. I would challenge any mutual fund, any any other investment to kind of match those type of returns.
0: And can the investor
1: just take out that one hundred fifty k? Yeah. What well, you said earlier, yeah. We, we we recognize the most recent market value of the property. We go back to the bank. I've done it myself. We refinance the property. You pull back out whatever your initial investment was, and then you can invest that elsewhere. You can do whatever you want.
0: Right. So even though your monthly payment would go up from refinancing, it because you took out that equity, essentially, you're still profiting.
1: Yeah. And remember, your rents have probably gone up as well. So like you, right. you don't have to take out at all, mm-hmm. but you could also just take out enough to make sure that the rent covers the payment. Right. So, for example, if... If you're getting $2,500 for a one bed here in Mississauga, well, then you can set your mortgage for an amount that's going to be equal, so that the payments are equal to the rent that you're receiving okay. if, you're, if you've owned a property for a while. Most people buying a new investment property today, probably, A, they don't have the equity built up yet, but they're right. not going to have that luxury. They might have to put something into it themselves.
0: Yeah.
1: Still worthwhile doing, though.
0: Power leverage.
1: Well, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's using other people's money. That's what the banks do. The banks aren't lending out their own money they're lending out our money yeah whatever we have on deposit they're giving it out they're lending it they're investing yeah. it.
2: we were speaking before that you own multiple properties mm-hmm. which is not easy for a lot of people right is this how you did it through refinance yeah. and
1: yeah like, I bought my first home eight years ago now I think it was um, and and we built up the equity we used the equity to invest in one and then the other and the other and we built up a portfolio and it's, that's exactly how we did yeah, it. Yeah, so it can now be we, done. That's, oh, 100% can yeah. be done. Now, we took advantage of, obviously, lending programs. Like, it's not your typical, um, um, here's my income, here's how much do I qualify for. Like, once you've built up equity and properties, now you can put down larger down payments, then the underwriting guidelines change. They, they qualify you in different ways. They can use different programs. So yes, we have taken advantage of those programs. There has been higher interest rates for certain programs that we've had to use. Um, but the returns are there. Like I'm not going to I'm more than happy to pay a higher rate of interest if it means I get the asset.
2: Yeah. Now if you get to that point where you own multiple properties, is it recommended to open corporation or yeah, yeah, the advantages? It can
1: be. um do you know what? That's a question for a accountant. tax accountant. Oh, yeah, for the yeah. accountant. It, to be honest with you, that's their. But what no, about like, getting,
2: getting mortgages? Is it going to be easier if you have a corporation? Or? So there's
1: a couple of different strategies um, that you can do around that. And again, not my area of expertise, but I can tell you what what I've been advised.
2: Hmm.
1: No, actually, I'm not going to go down that road because that's every <laughs> everyone's going to have a different strategy as far as that's concerned. Okay. They're going to uh, opening a corporation should be based on the advice of an accountant, but. As far as getting lending is concerned, it can limit options, because not every bank wants to lend to a, like, say, a holding mm. corporation. If you're going to buy a piece of real estate, you have to have a holding corporation to hold that asset. And not every bank will let you um, um, lend, they, will never, they won't lend to a holding corporation, they might refer that to their business banking side of things. We do have lenders that do do it, like some of our, our like, tier one banks, and they do do that. Um, but the, the big benefit, I suppose, is, is mainly for your self-employed individual. So if you have a corporation yourself, you're self-employed, and you have your down payment in that corporation, well, you're not taking it out of the corporation and triggering a tax yeah. event, a personal tax event there. You're lending it within your corporation. So it's basically, I um, suppose it's investing these before-tax dollars into a property. But, like I said that's definitely a conversation should be with yeah, an accountant.
2: For sure. But as an individual, is there a limit of how many mortgages you can get?
1: There can be. Um, the majority of banks will say five. Five properties or five doors. Um, other banks have more of an appetite for that type of client. Um, they'll do seven, they'll do ten. If you if you add, if you can give like
0: one tip to any like new investor or like buyer, like in real estate
1: yeah, well, start. Just, Just start. 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 Like um, What's the old saying? Best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Second best time is today. Start today. Like there's, there's a lot of buyers on the sidelines. And you guys, you're out there every yeah. single day. You, you're speaking to people. You're getting that sentiment from people. But like, even this past week, we have seen some, the amount of inquiry uptake mm. has been phenomenal. Like, it's, it's, we've been busier this last week than we have been this last month. Last month was quiet. This last week has not been. And the reason it has been, I think there's a lot more confidence returning. I think a lot of people, and rightly so, are thinking that we've peaked as far as interest rates are concerned. Um, the Bank of Canada are meeting. On the so whenever set. this goes out, let's, let's see what happens. But the Bank of Canada meet on the 25th of October. Yeah. Now, it's a coin flip on what they're going to do, whether they're going to raise interest rates or not. The good news about the inflation data that that just came out Mm -hmm. two days ago was very positive. So if I was a betting man, I would say there's no rate increase coming on the 25th. I think the Bank of Canada will be at the sidelines. But don't be surprised if they do. And if they do, I would say that that is going to be probably the last one. Mm. Uh, I think we'll have peaked at that stage. Once the Bank of Canada indicate that they're done raising interest rates, or once they start cutting interest rates well you saw what happened at the start of this year and the first was the first quarter of this year we saw a 17 percent increase in house prices when they paused interest rates can you imagine what's going to happen when they start cutting interest rates like the buyers are still out there they haven't gone anywhere they're just waiting they're just waiting for that indication that now the time to go they're waiting for that Pause to sit. So they're waiting for that hint from the bank account to say that we're done. Yeah. They, just, they want that little bit of certainty about things going forward, and then they're going to come flooding back to the market. Yeah. Anyone who I, I believe, anyone who's bought in this six months, in this kind of window of opportunity, when they look back three, four, five years down the line, are going to be so happy that they pull the trigger. Not only are you going to get a house at a great price, you've mm-hmm. got less competition. All those buyers who are on the sidelines are not buying. So now is your opportunity to get in there. You can get conditions. Are you? Yeah. Well, actually, you guys are the ones who can probably tell me this better. Yeah, you can but be selective. You yeah. can put conditions. You can negotiate. You can negotiate. You can you can get financing in there. Do you remember back? you <sighs> oh, twelve months ago. Yeah. yeah. Firm left, right, and center. No inspections. Conditions. No nothing. People buying properties unseen. Like they hadn't yeah. even they were walking. That's Find them on the internet. Like they, they hadn't happen. even seen the property, they're just afraid of missing out. Mm-hmm. You have
2: an hour to decide. Yeah. If you don't take now it, now you have time,
1: yeah. and you don't even have to make that decision like right on the spot. You can go back, visit a place two or three times, exactly. and, and and be like, yeah, okay, I like this property. Let's do this. But you can take your time.
0: Yeah, it's not, right not going to for last forever. It's not going to last,
1: and that's why I think that that this six months. I'm not saying go out and buy tomorrow, yeah. but be ready. Be, in be, in out, be watching the market. Be in the market. Be ready. Um, once those rates start coming down. It's going to be back to bidding wars it's going to be back to craziness
2: when do you advise people to start talking to a mortgage broker
1: um i i think it should be one of the first steps yeah like there's no kind of window where it's like oh you have to once you start talking to us you have to buy within that three or like we have clients we've worked with for three years mm-hmm. before they bought that first property and that's okay there's no pressure take take uh, take as long as you need but um when should they start talking to us as a, as a broker or any broker or any finance expert straight away yeah let's you got to get that budget first yeah and then you can um you can see what you can afford
0: or else you don't know what you're shopping for well that's it
1: we want to avoid disappointment like yeah. if you're out there looking at properties um, we don't want you seeing the property that you love and you can't make it happen yeah um, yeah it's just nobody wants that disappointment exactly. so get your get your ducks in a row first get your mortgage approval in place and get that budget and then know how much you can shop for amazing but yeah, no, no, be in the market. That's, that's, the, that's the takeaway. Yeah. What are, stay in the market. Stay in the what market. Once you're in, don't come off.
2: Yeah, that's a great tip. What are you finding people are getting now?
0: Fixed, variable? Uh,
1: yeah, that's actually one question I want to ask. What,
0: what would you recommend for somebody getting a mortgage? That's system? the
1: million-dollar question. And like, to be <laughs> honest with you, the, I'm seeing the majority of people now, majority of our clients now are going short-term fixed. Short-term I think the terms. only wrong answer is a five-year fixed rate. It's too long. Rates are too high. Yeah. Rates will come back down, and when they do, if you've taken a five-year fixed rate, you're stuck there. And if you try and break that mortgage, there's going to be a hefty, hefty penalty to break that mortgage. There's not. Everyone's situation is different, so there's not yeah. like a, a cookie-cutter solution. Um, but what is coming back? You asked whether people should go fixed or variable. I think. The, 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 the dilemma, what people have to decide today is, when it comes to fixed, short-term, two or three years. One would be ideal, but it's a higher rate of interest compared to two or three, so that one-year rate tends to scare people a little bit. Um, but two or three, you can get a bit more value. And um, We're seeing a lot of people do three-year because it's short enough. Because you when you're in a three-year fixed rate, depending on the institution, but you can exit in that last six months without incurring any charges. So you, you sign in for three years if rates come down, yeah. which we expect them to be down by the before. The that, you can take advantage of those lower rates in like two, after that two and a half yeah. years. So that avoids any charges. I'm seeing more and more variables now. Um, just this week, because I think, especially with the inflation data that came out, people are now thinking that the next move by the Bank of Canada is potentially going to be a cut. So they want to be part of that slide uh, as, um, as as rates come back down. And it's coming. It's just a matter of when. Less downside. Yeah. But,
2: but we all say, oh, interest will go down, will go down. But some people say, how do you know? Like, why can't they just keep going up? Hell, I don't know. People are struggling. Hey, yeah, yeah,
1: to be then. honest with you. Well, so it, it's, and that's a real economic question, to be honest with you. And I I don't have any degrees in economics. I'm just basically, but I was actually just at a, a conference where Benjamin Tao was speaking. Um, and Benjamin Tao, for those of you who don't know, is the chief... Of, yes, exactly. He's the chief economist with, with CIBC. Um, super presenter, very engaging. Uh, he's not a... But very knowledgeable. Like he, The way he presents the information is just so good, so easy to absorb. But he's... Um, now, he went through a lot about what's going on in the economy. Um, and what he was saying is that over the next kind of two to three... Our overnight rate at the moment, which is what the banks kind of lend to each other at, is at 5%. Over the next two years, he expects that to be at 3%. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that another way, the rates we're seeing today, he expects them to be about 2% lower um, over the next two to three years. Why Why can't they keep going up? Um, By 25 and 26, 58% of all mortgages in Canada are coming up for renewal. Those 58% of people out there are people who locked in at 1.5%, sub 2 during the COVID. And if those guys are going to jump from 6 there's a lot of people who will handle that and have adjusted. They've seen their wages go up as well. They can afford that, that jump. But there's also a lot of people who won't. Maybe they've lost jobs because of the recession. And if they lose that low interest rate and then suddenly this big interest rate has been sprung on them, it's not going to be pretty. And the Bank of Canada know this, yep. and they're not going to want our housing market to tumble.
2: Yeah.
1: There's too much demand for it to tumble, but the, the, they, don't want to have, they don't want to do anything to kind of do that. So how do you know interest rates are going to come down? They have to. There's a lot of people suffering. Once inflation gets that 2%, they're going to want to stimulate the economy again, and they do that by dropping interest rates
0: that people who are controlling the rates are at uh, the BOC as well, they probably own properties.
1: Well, I'd, I'd say so, yeah, 100%. Yeah, they're probably, um,
0: so if they're coming up for renewal, it's like, oh, let's just keep the rates.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they're, make, they're gonna make those decisions, but yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, I
0: think that's about it. As said, was very value packed, and yeah. obviously, nothing here that was said was actual specific advice. Like yes. Especially have and obviously speak to him directly. Yeah, like everyone
1: needs a specific plan. Yeah. And anything taxation-wise, disclaimer, yeah. talk to your accountant. Um, but anything mortgage-related, yeah, we're here to help. How can people reach you? Um, yeah, phone number uh, 647-863-7253 is 647-863-7253 uh, is my cell number. And that one's on me already. Or else, Gareth at Cattle Mortgage Team is, is our email address.
2: We'll
1: put it in the description. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd appreciate that. And we're, 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 we're always happy to help. Yeah. All right. Oh, thanks, yeah. fellas. This was, was, great. this was very enjoyable. Yeah. Always, always love to again. talk about real estate. Anytime. Anytime. Anytime.